Hello and welcome to the Untold, Untold Hour. Hour. Ooh, Sweet. that may have been the best one. I like that one, actually. Keep that one for future use. Oh, I am exhausted. Yeah. And that's all I've got. That's all I've got to say. I don't know how I can be so tired of doing absolutely nothing, but I am. Well, I did read uh, a few of those articles that I'd been avoiding that were talking about why time feels so weird to us, why we're having vivid nightmares, why creativity may be hard to tap into, etc. I read a bunch of those this week. And do you, I, I, did you get enlightened? Yeah, it made sense, but they're each those topics where once you read like scientific analysis of, it just starts to, you get, it confuses you. Like mm-hmm. they were talking about the nightmare or, or the time thing. And they were like, well, we have internal clocks and we have external clocks. And the internal clock is getting confused by the external one. And basically, we're not looking forward to uh, activities we used to look forward to. We're dreading them, but I didn't understand why. And because our environment doesn't change, it kind of feels like we're never checking anything off the list, even if we are. Well, I can get behind that part of it. That makes the sense. Dreading- if it, they said it's like it, it, it's akin to feeling like you're treading water, even though you may still be a- accomplishing things. I don't yeah. know. I. I it made sense when I read it, and then I couldn't quite compute it. Well, and it kind of throws me off, too, that because of our time change and we're moving into spring and summer now and our days are getting longer, like, even at 4, it seems like it's still noon, yeah. at least here in L.A. And yeah. so, I'm, you know, I'll fall asleep on the couch. I'll wake up. I think it's, like, maybe 1 o'clock, and it's 4. I'm like, what the hell just happened? I Well, and I, I've been feeling the inverse of that where... My office is is very dark. I mean, if I close the curtains, it's completely black in here. And that's where I am for most of the day. And I'll come out thinking it's 8 o'clock at night or nighttime. I'll be like, oh, and it, it'll be 1.30. Oh, and I'm oh, like, what? And then, I, and then I realize I have this whole day ahead of me. Yeah. But I'm like, oh, I kind of thought like I'd done my business. We, I was done what I had to do for work. And, and then it's like, no, man, what are you going to do? You got to like start yeah. the day again. Well, hopefully it sounds like L.A. is starting to loosen up some of the restrictions. So um, like not nearly as much as some other states, but enough that I think in the, you know, by July, we'll probably be able to be somewhat out and about. Um, yeah. So hopefully I'll be able to see you soon, even if it's with wearing a mask. Totally. Yeah. Actually, I prefer that. I'm no, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that would be better. You, That's just what you've wanted <laughs> just, that's for all years. I wanted to- <laughs> um, I'll wear like one that has the Joker's uh, mouth painted on it, like a true. You need to get one incel. that has your beard painted on it. That's true. Or that you actually make one that's like yarn, like a yarn beard. Or the so opposite. Like I need a mask that shows my bare face. Yeah. Uh, um, I will say, you know, Garcetti made masks mandatory, right? Like face yes. coverings are mandatory. So I've been hiking. And before anybody, you know, jumps up my butt about it, I, I, my hike is not like a big public hike with a parking area like uh, Runyon. There's barely anybody on my little hike, the weird hike I do. And I do it in a mask. And the I, bee hike. My bee hike where I get fucked up by bees. I do it in a mask and I keep six feet away from anyone that I pass. Normally on my hike, I only pass in an hour, maybe five people. Mm-hmm. it's a really obscure hike. It's not one of the popular ones. Point is, I go out today, no one's in a mask. Everyone well, so was ru- like, I'll think we're done. But I thought, what's the rule? So the rules are, at least the way that I understand it, is that masks are mandatory once you, like, in public places where you have to be somewhat close to each oh, other. Oh, okay. Like going Outdoor, to the grocery store. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. For sure. So they're opening more grocery stores. So you have more places to go, but that's also going to mean that more people are going out. And thus, yeah. that's why you need to have the mask. Things like the canyons and stuff, I think it's like it's more hey, about listen, the distance. 
keep your distance. Okay. And if it starts getting crowded or you think, you know, you're getting a side eye from somebody that's hyper nervous, yeah. like bring your mask with you at all times and pop on your mask if you feel the need to. But as long as you're outside, make sure and stay six feet apart. You will be fine anywhere you go in public, a la stores or restaurants or anything like that, you absolutely have to wear it no matter what because I, they're going to open more places. Right. I actually took a picture of the sign that was posted on my hike and I meant to look at it because it did list some rules. And yes, come to think of it, maybe masks wasn't even one of the the rules listed. Uh, I'll find it again. But And they're letting people that, you know, have... Um, that have been quarantining together and stuff. I think it's some sort of thing like you can all travel together now as long as you know that you've been in quarantine for however many something. Okay, that, don't yeah. quote me on that. That one's sketchy. I mean, yeah, that don't quote sure us about. on any of this. Yes, by all means. And plus, honestly, every state and every city within every state seems to have different rules. Yeah. Because it's, this has been an absolute shit show. So by all means, before you don't quote us, go check what your actual rules are locally and follow those yeah yeah the rules on my hike um oh it does say oh yeah face covering required no well people were messing up then oh families full of people i mean and i'm not a karen normally i hate to use that term but that's the term for like you know white person oh yeah that's mad no i about. saw yeah <laughs> but um but the but these hikes have turned me into a Karen because when I see people with no masks and runners and <laughs> running by with their fucking droplets coming out of their mouths, it makes me angry and it makes me want to say, "Look, who are you, dude, to think you're above this? We're all in this together. Put a, fr- a freaking mask on. It's hot as hell on my hike, and I keep my mask on." And yeah. I know it's, it's you know, there's a lot of different information out there, and I honestly don't know what to believe and what not to believe. So yeah. I just go by whatever the governor says. No, I hear you. Or the mayor. Yeah. Anyway, shifting gears. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a quick question. Yeah. I mean, this is some. This is something I would talk about if we were just going to like bullshit for 15 minutes, which we don't necessarily have the time to do. But are you a Scooby-Doo fan? No. No. Um, kind of. It's weird. Not really. I. Not really. Watch. Not really. I in I watched it it when it was on TV like if I went to my grandmother's house because it was on. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that out of all the cartoons that were out there at the time, I actively needed to watch Scooby-Doo. And then once they introduced Shaggy into the mix, I was completely out. You're not well, Shaggy's I mean I'm that's I'm sorry, not Shaggy, the little oh, one. Oh, Scrappy. Um, You're out scrappy. on Scrappy. <laughs> I hate it, Scrappy. You're out on Scrappy. Yeah, I don't I need I barely scrappy tolerated either. Yeah, I barely tolerated Scooby, but I dealt with Scooby because I really liked Daphne. For and sure. then and then um and then they brought in Scrappy. Mm-hmm. And I always liked the guests, like the extra guests, like they had the monkeys on once or the For Beatles sure. once, or then like the the Globetrotters Sunny ones. And Cher, I like loved yeah. those. Sunny and Cher. Like I loved those. But then they brought on um Scrappy and I was over it. I asked because <laughs> I've always loved Scooby Doo, just because I feel like it is, you know, it's one of the only spooky shows from that era. It's like mm-hmm. got such a fun, retro, spooky vibe. And I wondered if it was a big enough deal to you to wear when they make this new one. They made this new one, Scoob, and that's all it's called. Oh, I didn't know there was a new one. I, well, I wondered if it was something you were going to show your kid because Mm-mm. if you like Scooby-Doo, watching it, I wondered what a kid would think because I watched it. And I was just wondering, would a kid be into it? And it's like paying homage to all these Hanna-Barbera characters that I get the joke. But it's like, yeah, it's made for parents. Yeah, it's like Dick Dastardly is there and Muttley from Wacky Races. And spoiler alert, Scoob, spoiler alert, Captain Caveman is there. Oh, and they're trying to like bring together all these Hanna Barbera. And I'm like, who the fuck would care about any of this? I do. But I just, I wondered if like kids would actually be into it or if adults that like Scooby would show. Anyway, welcome to the Scoob Hour. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Bowser. Well, it's interesting. I have let um I have let him actually just recently watch the new versions of DuckTales, which yeah. I do like, and the new version of um Powerpuff Girls, which I don't like. You don't like don't, the new version. 
No, I don't like the new okay. version. I don't hate the new version. I just don't. It's just not as good as the original. Okay. Okay. I was never a Powderpuff Girls fan, but I, was not I didn't dislike it. I just never fan watched it. Either. It was just on when I was trying to watch my other stuff, so I would sit through it. And totally. so I, because of that, I became a bit of a connoisseur. And then all the, what is it? Uh, Jendi Tartakovsky. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, with like Samurai Jack and all stuff. I just kind of got sucked into that whole era of Cartoon Network somehow. Yeah. And um, like Johnny Quest and all those guys. For sure. Yeah. And I never really liked any of them, but I still yeah. watched them. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, let me ask you a quick trivia question and then I promise okay. we can move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> can you name five cartoons that Steven Spielberg produced? There, there could be six. I only know of Tiny Toons. Okay. Um, which is in my opinion, the most important one. Yeah. Uh, Tiny Toons or Tiny, yeah, um... I'm wondering. God, I have no idea. Yeah. Okay. Um, Tiny Toons. That's all I've got. Animaniacs. Oh, well, okay, yeah. Spinoff, Pinky and the Brain. Yeah, okay. But that's all in the same. I know. That's oh. what I would say. I asked because this came up on a trivia that I had to do this week. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Freakazoid. Okay. That's legit. A lot of people forget that. And then... I mean, I remember the show now that you mentioned it, but right. I didn't know... And even then, I didn't know he was attached. A lot of people forget this one, uh, Toonsylvania. I don't even... I don't even remember hearing about that. I know. Yeah, I think it must have been a huge botch. But... Do you remember Family Dog? No. Spielberg and Tim Burton together for an animated show. Well, he had that one... What was that one... Burton's dog, Frank cartoon, and Weenie. Which was, yeah, I remember Frank and Weenie, but I didn't know that he got into anything else other than that. Frank, uh, Family Dog was kind of like Frank and Weenie without the supernatural stuff or without the science fiction stuff. It was just about mm -hmm. a dog. Um, I bring this up because we did a trivia thing this week for work and nobody had heard of Family Dog and it lit me up. And so they didn't accept my answer. And well, I mean, insane. you've got an internet right there in front of you. Can't I know. You they didn't the check answer? until we had all gotten off the Zoom match, the call. And then finally, the trivia master was like, oh, you're right about Family Dog. I'll give you points. You're actually now in second place. And I'm like, now? That after everyone's gone? Now. Exactly. Yeah. I was so angry. And it was yeah. so stupid that I was so like angry. Pinky and the Brain uh, spinoffs and stuff. That, that To me, that all falls underneath the same like Agreed. umbrella. I would even argue maybe Animaniacs and Tiny Toons are pretty close to each other, but I suppose there wasn't ever, ever any major crossover between the two worlds, so all right, fine. Yeah. But Pinky and the Brain, that should be considered as part of Animaniacs. Agreed. 100%. Thank you. Did you ever watch the summer movie, the Animaniacs summer movie, where, uh, where uh, was it Ducky? Ducky goes. Oh, right? I think so. Ducky, Plucky Ducky Duck goes on vacation. Plucky Duck goes on vacation. Yeah, with the 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 pig family. Yes, I loved that one. Yeah, and they pick up the chainsaw murderer on the highway. Exactly. Yeah, that was my favorite part of the whole thing. Yep. Anyway, so I don't even know where to start in regards to the main part of the podcast, other than to say we have a special guest today. We've actually had them on Bizarre States way back in the past for uh, their book, Decoded. So mm -hmm. some of you old Bizarros might remember um, our, our our guest, our incoming guest, Brad Meltzer. Um, not only is, uh, is he a family friend, but he's a friend of the podcast. He has a new book out called uh, The Lincoln Conspiracy, all about how uh, most people know about the John Wilkes Booth situation, obviously, but um, on his way, on Lincoln's way to accept the presidency and actually get sworn into office, there was a big conspiracy to um, kill him en route on his train trip once he on his way into the White House. So they couldn't even make it oh. and how and how they broke the story, how the Pinkertons found out about it, what they did to get him across the state lines, um, how it ended the after effect, how it haunted him. 
because it actually ended up kind of blowing up in his face. I mean, he lived. That's the most important part. But um, everybody, Republican and Democrat, um, just dragged him through the mud about being a coward. And so he had to kind of like that was the thing that he had to live down like from that point on throughout his presidency as people would always bring that up as how he was, um, you know, for lack of a better phrase, chicken shit. Sure. Uh, Not that I agree with that necessarily, but that's what they thought at the time, which um, puts a lot of perspective in current (laughs) news situations. Yeah. Wow. That's really that's really it's just it was really interesting. Like, I'm reading through uh, Brad's book right now, but I also did a deep dive on this whole event and uh, this whole conspiracy to kill him en route. And it's just really interesting how much things have changed and how they have not changed at all in the world of politics. So it was this odd, it's like kind of an odd comfort to not only hear Brad talk about it, but to also just research the history behind it because it kind of just, it's just... Oh, yeah, this is just the way that people are, and this is the way the politics go. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a garbage fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's always been a garbage fire, so that's really comforting, actually. Yeah, in a way. And I forgot, I can't believe I forgot this. I never, because I think I've always associated him with a Democrat, he was a Republican. So I forgot right. that the Republican-Democrat thing actually kind of got switched. Right. Their goals got switched along the way, and I can't. But did I, how, how? I mean, you kind of know about this stuff. Do you know how that happened or why? I don't really know much about this at all. I my brother in law is a huge Lincoln fanatic and historian, and has and know has a lot more insight. And he's even told me about that yeah, story, like the Baltimore plot. Yeah, exactly. Called, the Baltimore plot, and and um, and he's he's honestly probably read brad's book oh for sure Um, if he's that into lincoln for sure he has he is but i don't know much about how much everything evolved over the years when it comes to Mm. what would define the parties i do know that it doesn't i know that you know people call themselves like well i'm this i'm a lincoln republican or some people say i'm a reagan republican oh really i didn't even know that that was a thing sure sure yeah I kind of try to stay out of politics as much as possible because I feel like it's a Sisyphean task to get involved. Like, what's the point? You're just going to push that boulder uphill and consistently be disappointed. Yeah. Um, but it was. But I like the history aspect of it, and it's a, it was really interesting talking to Brad and getting his take on it, getting the details on um, the Baltimore plot. Yeah. Um, but also, like, kind of just like this window into life back then. Um, that you don't really hear about in history books as far as like what you learn in high school, which is pretty much about, unless it's a personal passion project of mine, is about where my high school history is or where my history knowledge is at. It was like right at that high school, like a little bit of college level. Totally. So unless it was something that really stood out to me, I never necessarily pursued it on my own. But, um, but yeah, Brad's book's really interesting. Cool talking to him. So you guys will hear him in just a bit. And uh, and also throwing this out there, mm-hmm. if you do want to read up more on it or hear more about it, C-SPAN actually I've managed to find this old school C-SPAN um, like uh, conference that they had about the Baltimore plot, and it was between a histor and it was a historian, but then the historian also brought on a lawyer who looked at it from a lawyer's perspective, like a. Hmm. Uh, a, a political lawyer's perspective and that was very interesting and like as dry as the subject matter sometimes got like they really presented it well so i'm gonna try and also post the c-span video yeah. up on our podcast notes because i actually found it super intriguing like super interesting yeah it's really good but that being said, I do think it's time to kind of lighten the air a little bit because I feel like we're both like, meh. Yeah. Uh, with a little bit of weird of the week. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Weird of the week always kind of scrubs you, scrubs you out and makes Ew, you feel scrubs shiny. scrubs you out. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and makes you feel shiny and new again. It does. You it know? does. Yeah. It's a palate cleanser for your soul. Kind of. Kind of. Depending on what you're reading. Man files court order request to battle his ex-wife with a duel to the death. Oh, my gosh. Yep. And the irony of this whole thing is right before I started reading this article, uh, a Pampers ad was running as pre-roll <laughs> because they were fighting. They're fighting over um, child custody. It's a child custody gotcha. battle. Gotcha. 
So uh, this one's from HuffPo, one of my favorite go-tos for weird news. Uh, They're reporting that a Kansas man went under court-ordered psych evaluation due to the fact that he requested formally to have a sword fight with his ex-wife. Oh my gosh, sword fight. Child custody case. Uh, In a January 3rd court filing, David Ostrom of Kansas asked if he could battle his ex-wife in a sword fight so that he could, quote, Rend their souls from their bodies. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Obviously, the judge was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, Temporarily suspended his visitation rights, as he should have, and ordered an evaluation. The evaluation actually came back and said that he's not necessarily troubled, like he's not crazy, but has been diagnosed with an adjustment disorder with mixed emotional features, which I don't know what that necessarily means other than, like, he's super stressed. He hates this. He hates the situation and hates his wife. And so, but you know, yeah. And he can't control it, or it's bubbling up. Uh, so his quote when when he apparently has been interviewed in some way, shape, or form about this. So he said, and this is his quote: "It essentially says I'm not crazy. I just don't like being denied access to my children." Mm-hmm. He has since turned around and filed a psych evaluation for his ex-wife. And that he be reimbursed $4,765 in legal fees and $2,200 for the psychological evaluation that he went through. Uh, The motion also seeks $255,000 for emotional damages. My whole point on that is like, dude, you're the one that said the dumb shit. Yeah. The judge is the one that ordered this. Your wife shouldn't have to pay for it. This is your fucking fault. Totally. Okay, you might not sound crazy, but you know what you do sound like? A fucking asshole. Yes. <laughs> like, I can't imagine why she divorced you, you nut. Um, so anyway, she's, uh, he said he's only filed the trial by combat request in order to get media attention for his case, which, well, he got ours, but I don't know how much that's going to help him, so... There you go at that. Yeah. Needless to say, he is representing himself. Sure. Like the smart boy he is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's like, Jesus, I, dude. I didn't like, think you were going to say swords. I thought you were going to say that he like wanted like a duel, you know, with pistols, which would have been bad enough. No, he wanted a enough, sword but fight. Yeah, that's just an like, even oh, weirder suggestion for God, some reason. God, take your Renfest fantasy elsewhere. Yeah. Don't eat the yellow concrete. What? This is actually kind of cool. Human urine could help to make concrete on the moon. The European Space Station, or I'm sorry, the European Space Agency said that urea, the main organic com- component in urine, could be used to make a mixture known as lunar concrete, which would be more malleable before it began to harden into its final form and become strong. Uh, I guess the point of that is saying that you've got some time to work with it. Hmm. Using ingredients found naturally on the moon would help to reduce the need and effort to launch supplies to the moon in case in the case of creating a moon colony. So this seems like a feasible like it okay, so two things. One, it seems like they're really truly trying to figure out how we could go live on the moon. Yeah. And that they might have discovered some ways and because it, now they're looking to use like native components. And it involves piss. And it involves piss. Yeah. Human evolution devolves right back to shit and piss. Yes, that, that, you know, I, this is kind of the that's kind of the building statement. blocks, literally the building blocks to our existence. Yeah, shit and piss. Yep. Hmm. I wonder then if yeah, I wonder if you would. Never mind. I was gonna make a really dumb joke that really wasn't that funny. What? I was gonna say like oh the sidewalk runner poopers that people remember. Uh huh. Like two, three years ago where everybody was running and like shitting in people's yards. And that was like the big thing of 2017, I think was like, what was it? It was like, we went, it was like mass murderers. And then the next year it was like killer clowns. And then the next year after that, it became like um, sidewalk shitters. And there was, I feel like there was like a run of uh, weird sex doll stuff. Oh yeah. Like there was a, um, like a half a year of sex doll stuff. Yeah. And like. Where they were trying to justify prostitution. In strip malls, right. like whorehouses, because the girls that they were going to have as prostitutes weren't real women. They were sex dolls. Yeah, there was like a sex doll brothel in a strip mall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. God. None of it surprises me anymore. No. Nope. Living the high life. A South African man has been living in a barrel 80 feet above the ground for more than two months nonstop. Hmm. I don't know how he goes to the bathroom unless he just hangs his ass over the side. Overlooking the town of Dolstrom, Vernon Kruger is out 
and may have already broken a record to, that he set himself back in 1997 Oof. and is planning on staying in the barrel for over 68 days. Wow. Why would you be drawn to breaking your own record? Because you can. I guess why, you know, so. Why climb a mountain? Because it's there. Wow. Sleeping. Why live in a barrel? Because you can. <laughs> yeah. Well, how do you sleep in that? It has a it, it has a drainage system for the waste. Oh, did you look it up really quick? Yeah, yeah. There's a so he must have like a little hole that he just pees and poos in. Well, I mean, it, it, the barrel it sits atop a, a giant pole, so it feels like the drainage system must be within the pole. That's also part of its structure, keeping it. I I guess Ugh, this is like that's still disgusting though. Oh. Of course. Like, where ventilation and, like, where you're, you're where, like, what? <laughs> yeah. What? To be How? honest, though, I'm surprised the record, I'm surprised two months was enough. But, again, he's beating his own record, so who the fuck cares? Um, but it just, I, I would have expected it to be a longer time. Yeah. But well, 67 yeah, days. So. I mean, that seems like a long time to me. That is a long time. That's for a in a barrel. Yeah. In the air. Did you see on pictures this of it? Tiny little pole. Yeah, I've seen pictures of it. Yeah. I didn't realize that that was the drainage system, but I it looks so. ter. It also looks extremely unsafe. Yeah. And terrifying. Yep. Yep. Anyway. Well, I won't be breaking his record anytime soon. Yeah, I can't say I'm going to be in a rush to like make myself famous that way. Mm-mm. All right, so up next, Brad Meltzer, American political thriller, novelist, nonfiction writer, TV show creator, and comic book author is joining us today to talk about his latest book, The Lincoln Conspiracy, The Secret Plot to Kill America's 16th President. Well, Brad, I think last time we had you on the podcast was way back when we were Bizarre States and we were talking about Decoded. But now you also have this, The Lincoln Conspiracy, which I am on, uh, I'm in chapter three, but I did do a pretty good deep dive into the entirety of the event. Of the event. So what made you choose the Baltimore, uh, what, what are they called? The Baltimore Plot. plot. Yeah, the Baltimore plot, because I didn't really, I had heard about Lincoln potentially being assassinated on a train, and that's literally all I had ever heard from any kind of history class or something you might see about him on TV. Nobody really went into deep down detail about it. So what made you choose to cover it? Yeah, it was, um, it was just a good story. We all know the story of John Wilkes Booth Mm -hmm. killing Abraham Lincoln and ending his presidency, but this was the first secret plot to actually kill Abraham Lincoln at the start. And you're like, well, why don't I know this story, right? And the reason you don't know it is because a couple of days after it happens, a civil war erupts. And soon after that, four years later, Abraham Lincoln gets a bullet in his head. And this story, which was the most amazing popular story of the day on the front page of newspapers becomes a footnote, but not to us because we figured out and found out, you know, I think like you, we had the edges of the puzzle, we didn't know mm-hmm. what the middle looked like. We just had heard about it. There was a plot in a train, and, and that's how it happened. I mean, basically, when Abraham Lincoln was elected to get sworn in and raise his right hand as the 16th president, he had to take a train from his home in Springfield, Illinois, to Washington, D.C. But the only way you're going to get there is you've got to go through Baltimore. And Maryland at the time was a slave state. So the plot to kill him was very simple. It was a secret society who plotted to murder him when he came through Baltimore and ends his presidency before it ever began. And needless to say, the Lincoln conspiracy was born. So he kind of, it looks like from some maps that I've seen that he kind of left Springfield, Illinois and went up all the way over into like kind of around Buffalo, New York, and then was dropping down because I think the other option was through what West Virginia, which wasn't West Virginia at the time. It was just Virginia, but that they also were out to get him. So it was kind of like, choose which way you want to die. It's a lady lady or the tiger. Yeah. That's it. It it really was because, you know, Lincoln was so hated. Like we all know Abraham Lincoln now and you're like, oh, we all love Abraham Lincoln. But he was so hated back then that 10 different Southern states wouldn't even put him on the ballot 
mm-hmm. because even though he's a rightful nominee, they were like, we're not putting your name on a ballot. There wasn't a single vote cast in some of these states because he's not there. Well, he's and the so Confederacy hated. ended up having their own president, right? They right, they have, their, to own, have right? their own. Yeah. And 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 he's so hated that three days, they gave him three days after he's elected, South Carolina says we're going to secede from the union. They pass a resolution. By the time he's sworn in, six states have already left. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the death threats start. I mean, the moment they see that this guy who's not going to do away, you know, they think is not going to promote slavery, all the Southern states out there are like, well, he must be public enemy number one. Mm-hmm. So obviously you can go through Virginia and go through like hated territory or you can go up through New York. And if you go that way, you know, at least you're going to find people who love you and you're going to meet the country. I mean, right now, you know, they didn't have Twitter back then. So they didn't have TV. If you wanted to meet the president and even see him, you went to the train station and you yeah. waved and you said hello and you're like, oh, that's our new president. I didn't even know what he looked like. So how did the plot to kill him through Baltimore even get discovered in the first place? I know the Pinkertons were involved, but how did they manage to kind of suss it out? Yeah, so what happens is um, one of the heads of the railroad gets a tip that says, hey, they're going to blow up your railroad when Abraham Lincoln's on it because they want to keep him from reaching his inauguration. They thought it was just kind of more of a stunt. And the head of the railroad was like, I don't want to lose my railroad. It was just pure self-interest. So he hires Alan Pinkerton. And, and I'll set it up just so you see the image because it's so fun. Is you know, There's a train that's moving in, in the middle of the night. And on this train, there's lots of passengers. And there's three that we're really focused on. There's a businessman, there's a woman, and there's her invalid brother. The businessman is not a businessman. He's actually famed detective Alan Pinkerton of the Pinkerton Detective Agency. The woman is Kate Warren, who we should talk about, America's first female private eye. Mm-hmm. And her so-called brother's not her brother at all. He's actually, and he's certainly not an invalid. He's actually Abraham Lincoln. They put him in a disguise. They give him a super secret code name and they whisk him away in the middle of the night uh, to keep him from this secret society that wants to murder him. And I just ruined chapter one of the Lincoln conspiracy, but, but that's okay. Well, like, there's I mean, I also one, but, feel like there's no real spoilers. <laughs> right. No, we, we know he's going to live. We but, know what but, happens. But what happens is uh, he, hires, he hires Alan Pinkerton. The head of the railroad hires Alan Pinkerton and says, listen, they're going to blow up my railroad, find out who's going to do it, find out how we can stop them. And it's Alan Pinkerton who really saves the day. Alan Pinkerton, uh, and he's not alone though, because, and this is who I love in the book. I think you'll love too, because she's just so kick-ass. Is, there's a 26-year-old woman who walks into Alan Pinkerton's office and says, I saw an ad in the newspaper for new detectives. I want the job. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, there's a time when no one is hiring women, private eyes, yeah. much less anyone in law enforcement. And yeah. he's like, you sure you don't want to be the secretary? And she's like, no, I want to be the new private detective. And he's like, why? Like, what do you have to offer? And it's amazing thing you'll see actually um, the dialogue. Gossip. <laughs> yeah, it is. And she basically says, she says, you know, and not even just the gossip part, but she says, Men are stupid and they brag around me. They brag to me all the time to impress me. And that means I hear things you will never hear. And to Alan Pinkerton's credit, he's like, oh my God, she's right. There are people who are going to say things to her that they will never say to me. And she says, I I can go and speak to women. I can speak to people's wives. I can speak. And he's like, oh crap, she's going to kill this. It's so good because the wives will know what the husbands are doing. And then the guys that are trying to impress her are, A, trying to pump up their own ego, but at the same time probably have so much disrespect for just her in general as a woman who, you know, isn't going to know what to do with that information, that she's the perfect person to gather right. this she, intel. She, of, and they don't know what a honeypot is. Like, we look at it now, you know, Alan Pinkerton's great uh, superpower is he infiltrates your life. He mm-hmm. figures out... Okay, what do you like to do? Where do you like to go? Who are your friends? Where do you go to drink? And then he goes to that bar and you come in for a drink. And before you order your favorite drink, he orders the same drink you're about to order because he knows your drink. And then you go, oh, that's my favorite drink too. And he goes, oh yeah, I'm new in town. And, he, and Alan says to him, you know, I have one friend here, so-and-so, and he mentions someone you know. And you go, oh my gosh, I'm friends with him too. And before you know, you're having a conversation. He's like, oh, why don't we hang out some more? And this may seem naive to us now, like, oh, those people are so naive back then. They hadn't seen 50 episodes of Law & Order. Mm -hmm. Like, they had no idea. So Alan Pinkerton is like a termite. He will infiltrate your life. He will gnaw on that amazing support column, and the whole building will crumble. 
And he puts, he puts Kate Warren, America's first female private eye, and as one of the people in charge of this case to help save Lincoln's life. So Lincoln also has his own security that he brings that is friends with him. So how does Pinkerton kind of get himself into the door with Lincoln? Yeah, so what happens, you have to remember, this is the, the Secret Service doesn't exist in terms of protecting presidents until 1865, until Lincoln's dead. Mm-hmm. So at this point in time, they have security, they have cops who are kind of meeting the train at each station, trying to keep the crowds back. But the only people doing security, he has his staff there. And then Lincoln basically brings like his buddy who's like, I got a big knife and I have a gun. And he's like, you know, you know how to fight. Why don't you come along for the ride? It's like, it's like asking your, your friend who's like the, your toughest friend from high school to come yeah. with you, right? Like <laughs> the bouncer. <laughs> it, the ba- yeah, whoever you're, everyone has a bouncer friend. Who's the big guy that you were bringing a fight? And Lincoln brought his. But it's not security. In fact, there was so, I, I never, I, get, I don't get to tell this story, which is why I love talking to you about this, but this is how bad security was, is at the time, they were like, oh, we want everyone to meet Lincoln. So every single day, they were publishing Abraham Lincoln's schedule, mm-hmm. when the train arrived, when the train left, who he's going to meet with, who's going to receive him. It's all in the newspaper every single day. That's how the secret society knows where he is. Like the plan is very simple. They, they know he's going to, you know, if you want to go today, if you take uh, Amtrak, right, you can go from New York, you can go to Philadelphia, you could take the same thing to DC, you can go all the way to Florida. You may have to get off the train every once in a while, but you're not moving stations, you're just, you're staying on Amtrak. Mm-hmm. Back then, um, all these different railroad lines, they didn't interconnect. So what happened was if you wanted to go to Washington, DC, you landed in Baltimore, you got into Baltimore, and you had to leave that train station and walk a mile or take a horse-drawn carriage one mile to the next train station that would take you to D.C. That mile between those two spots was the kill zone. They knew, this secret society knew, Abraham Lincoln's coming in here. When he goes here, we got him. He's ours. And why do they know? It's published in the paper every single day. So that's how, that's how it's all found out. I mean, it sounds kind of ridiculous that they did do that. But then going back to, your, to what we were talking about earlier, where you know the only way you ever got to see your president was by going to these train stations. Was publishing his schedule kind of that necessary evil in order it, uh, yeah, that's to it. That, that, get your PR? It was literally PR. I mean, they, it, in fact, we found, you'll see in the book, we found the early Abraham Lincoln campaign posters. This is when he's the nominee. So he's the nominee. They're, they're literally, it says, elect Abram Lincoln. They're spelling his name wrong. <laughs> like nobody knows who this guy is. And he's, you know, Seward, William Seward is, is supposed to be the winner of the, of the Republican nomination. They think he's going to be the guy. He's a senator. He's well known. He's been around for years. Abraham Lincoln is a multiple time loser who has lost, never been in national politics. He's an unknown guy from Illinois. And the only reason he wins is because basically they can't get Seward enough votes. So he's like, you know what, just wait back and let's take the votes away from everyone else. And eventually he rises. But he's, no one knows who he is. He's this yeah. clean shaven guy who everyone's like, who is he? And he's, you know, six four. When he wins, everyone's like, he's ugly. That's all they know about Abraham Lincoln. Like the guy is ugly. He's oh, six poor four. And, and poor, I mean, you feel so bad for him. Literally, it's like ugly, gawky, weird. He's six four at a time. And nobody is 6'4". If you, if you lived back then, you never saw 6'4 in your life. And now comes this like gangly, big, giant man from Illinois. And everyone's like, who's this? This is the guy that's going to be our president? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I used to go, uh, because I lived in the Midwest, there's a lot of these like old towns that you can go visit as kind of museums. Like for, uh, Greenfield Village is kind of my default yep. go-to. And you go into these houses and you see their beds and you're like, how did people sleep in that? It's so small. I can't even imagine like, where did this man get his clothes from? Like, how did he have furniture that fit him? <laughs> Just like When they're, so high, when they're hiding Abraham Lincoln on the train, he's so big in the sleeper car, his feet are dangling. It's like trying to hide <laughs> LeBron James. Like you can't hide him. This is giant figure. And, yeah. and the funniest part is, is one of my favorite stories that's in there is, um, there's a little girl, right, when he gets elected, right as he's running for president, I should say, named Grace Fidel. She's an 11-year-old girl. And Grace Fidel writes Abraham Lincoln a letter that says, Mr. Lincoln, I see you're running for president. My brothers, some are going to vote for you, some aren't. But you know what I think would help you? You should grow a beard. Mm-hmm. And he writes her back and says, you know what? I'm going to grow a beard. And no one really knows. if he, he does start growing a beard at that moment. 
And no one knows if he's like, was that a joke? Did he mean that? What happened? But he starts growing this beard. And when his train gets to Grace Bedell's town, he actually asks for Grace Bedell to come, invites her. And she comes through the crowd. She's got little flowers, 11-year-old girl. And he says, Grace, look, here's the beard I grew for you. And that's why America gets the most famous beard in history. It's like a little girl saying, everyone thinks you're ugly. You should grow a beard. You'll look better. And I love that. I love that. Yeah. 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 Now you just have, you have, you get trolled on the internet. Uh, back then you yes. got trolled by a, a really adorable 11 year old girl. 11 year old girl. Right. And he took that, was his, and that, it, was twi- that was Twitter 1.0. And it, and it worked, but it worked for him. Um, so do you, like a lot of people still, uh, back then even didn't, well, didn't believe. And I think some historians still argue over the fact of it. Was there an actual plot or was it all kind of made up? Cause it, because of him going and hiding himself, going through Baltimore, it kind of all ended up blowing up in his face and Pinkerton ended up looking like a fool and that he was always trying to cause trouble and all this other stuff by being overprotective. So do you actually think there was a plot or do you think it, there wasn't? Yeah, and we deal, we spent a whole chapter on this. Um, and there is no question in my mind that there's a plot, right? You can't mm-hmm. prove that it took place because why? It got foiled. Yeah. But Alan Pinkerton, there's no question, is, has lots of good reasons and self-interest to say there's a plot, even if there is or isn't one. Why? Because he's running a detective agency. So the cooler he looks, the better it is for him. Yeah. But here's why we know he's wrong. And, and he's actually proven, it, it's proven that there's a plot now. Those who say that there is one, the only one who says that there wasn't one is a guy who hates Alan Pinkerton. It's one of Abraham Lincoln's top aides. Mm-hmm. And he hates him because um, he feels like Pinkerton is a self-promoter. So he's like, you know what? There's no plot at all. Here's what proves there was one. Um, two things. One, Alan Pinkerton, he can lie all he wants in his diary or exaggerate all he wants in his diary, but all of his detectives, we found their diaries too. And all of them tell same stories of who they met with on the plot. And they're taking notes contemporaneously. So it means he would have had to have the forethought to have every detective he has make this stuff up and write it. And that's just, that's 50 steps ahead. But more important than that, even if you think, well, you know what? He can, he can make everyone do whatever he wants. He's the boss. At the same time, you'll see one of my favorite moments in the entire book is when they have to tell Abraham Lincoln for the first time that there's a plot to kill him. And Pinkerton writes about it and says, you know, he goes to, uh, they bring Lincoln to the hotel room. Lincoln's exhausted from a day of traveling. And what Abraham Lincoln, they say, listen, sir, you have a big event in Philly tomorrow, but we know that there's this plot to kill you. We want to get you out of here early, get you through Philadelphia and get you straight to DC. So skip the event in Philly. We'll, we'll keep you safe. And Lincoln says, I'm not missing the event in Philly. Like what's going in Philly and in Philadelphia the next day, Abraham Lincoln is supposed to be there to honor one of his heroes, a man named George Washington. Mm-hmm. And no way is Abraham Lincoln missing George Washington's birthday party. And God bless my co-writer, Josh Mensch, found the actual speech Lincoln gives there. I should just tell you, like he talks about how the Declaration of Independence shows everyone should, we, we should have an equal shot in America. And he says, if you don't, if we don't have that and we can't come together over that, and Lincoln pauses in his speech. And he says, I was about to say, that you should just assassinate me on this spot rather than surrender. And I love that Lincoln knows there's a plot to kill him there. And why, do we, yeah. why does he know? This is, and this is the real proof, is that this is what Pinkerton did not have, is at the same time, after he closed the door on Pinkerton, uh, Seward's son comes to Lincoln's hotel room with a note that says, my father's been doing his own separate private investigation and these New York cops found that there's a plot against you. And it's the exact same plot that Alan Pinkerton found. So mm. unbeknownst to Pinkerton, two different investigations found the exact same secret society plotting to kill Abraham Lincoln. And that's how we know now that it actually was a real thing. Yeah. I like, I like a couple of, obviously I like many things in the book, but the two things that stick out to me the most is I really like how you lay out Um, the timeline of how all of this goes down. I think when you, or at least for me, when I learned all about the Civil War and President Lincoln, you know, it's so far in the past and you kind of, you know, it's, it's starting in middle school. You, you learn that he was a great man, but you don't really understand the day-to-day existence of what went on during that time. 
and how all of it is linked up. And you do a great job of breaking it down as far as the tensions that were building at that moment, because it had it had gotten really, really nasty in the government and just between um, the North and the South. And that, you know, I didn't even realize, like I, I didn't even realize some states had already seceded even before or just after he got in. I thought it was like, oh, he got in. And then a couple of, you know, months or a year later, that's when the Civil War began. It's like, no, it was already like, hot, like ready to go from before he even took his position. And then, um, and then, yeah, it just never even occurred to me that it was just a mere, like what, four years later that he, that they did succeed. It's like, it, it wasn't that much time between when he took office and like, there was, there was just no way for this man to win. Like he was going into a hornet's nest. Like there was, yeah. they were going to get him one way or the other, but then and, I also, and, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go, go, go. I was going to say, I also like kind of the little asides, like the things that show his humanity. And it's not just this great man that you came to like hear about in your history class that you actually found out that like my, one of my favorite stories is the story about how he had his son come with him and he gave his son that one job. You had one one job, job. (laughs) one job, you know, in his son's defense, why would you ever give your son the most important speech that you're going to have to give that you're working on to carry around? Like, come on. The best part of that is his son comes on board, (laughs) leaves Harvard. He's like the young guy who just wants to drink and meet girls. And Abraham Lincoln's like, son, you're in charge of the inaugural address. That's the job. <laughs> oh Do God. the job. And he's like, dad, I have some news for you. I lost the inaugural lost address. And it's like, address. it's Abraham Lincoln's inaugural address. It's not even like now. <sighs> um, and, but, but you hit the point on the head. Like, there are a lot of great, crazy Abraham Lincoln stories that, you, that we could tell. And Josh and I, I'll never forget, we were sitting and talking about why this one? Like, why this? Why is this the one to tell? And let us tell those two things you just mentioned. One is just the timeline of the context of where this was taking place. So, you know, the, the country is divided in half. Whatever side you're on, you hate the other side. Whatever side you're on, you think the other side are horrible, awful people. Just does that sound familiar to you? I was going right? to say, you know, it actually helps. It actually helps to read it now because it kind of even, you know, listen, things are the way they are, but it's nice to see like, it's this weird kind of catch 22 where it's nice to see how little things have changed because at least you don't feel like you're the fuck up. <laughs> right. You're like, look it's around, also like, we're messing it all up. And you're like, Oh wait, yeah. wait, if Abraham Lincoln went through this too, there's hope and there's, you know, but, yes. but the other part of that is it's also, we were very clear. We wanted to show what great leaders actually do face with that. Abraham Lincoln doesn't mm-hmm. come in and pick fights and raise his fist. Abraham Lincoln never meets anyone with his fist. He meets him with an open heart in his head. Like mm-hmm. they're trying to kill him. They're seceding from the union. They're not putting his name on the ballot. And he comes to his inaugural address and says, this is a quote. He says, we should not be enemies. We should be friends. Mm-hmm. And we should defer to the better angels of our nature. And like, that's what great leaders do. Leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of those in your charge. Mm-hmm. And Lincoln knows that. And I think the other part, perhaps just maybe even more important, and this is me personally, is we, if I shook you up, woke you up in the middle of the night and I said, you know, Jessica, tell me, tell me about Abraham Lincoln. You would say what you just said. You'd be like, you know, big hat, freed the slaves, you know, log cabin. You'd blurt out the cliches that, that all high school classes give us. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we know the end of Abraham Lincoln's story, right? He, he, the Emancipation Proclamation comes, slavery is finished, the Civil War is won. That's the end. That's when he's the great man. I'm far more interested in Abraham Lincoln 1.0 where he's, he doesn't know what he's doing. He has self-doubt. He's worried. He's like, am I screwing this up? And we make this huge mistake with our heroes in the country. What we do is we build these great monuments to them, and then we expect everyone to go worship at their feet. And, and we do them a huge disservice when we do that. Because when we do that, we forget that anyone you look up to, whether it's Abraham Lincoln or whether it's Rosa Parks or anyone else, had moments where they were scared and they were terrified. And they didn't think they could go on. And it was very important to me to show you, here's Abraham Lincoln losing the inaugural address. You know what he's doing when he's nominated and he finds out he's nominated for the presidency? He's in an alleyway playing handball. Like when he leaves to go to the White House, the last thing he does, one of them, is he goes to see his father's grave, which I understand. And two, he goes to see his stepmother because he misses her and loves her. And he says to her, you know, they're crying. She's supposedly crying. She's crying, hugging him. 
And she says, I'm worried he's going to be assassinated. I'm worried I'm never going to see him again. And, and she's absolutely right. But yeah. what I love is, is that Abraham Lincoln in those moments becomes a human being again. And he proves to us that all of us, we have, you know, every single one of us, we are scared and we are brave and we are terrified and we are amazed and we are cowards and we are in- incredible. Some of us all within the same few days, some of us all within the same few minutes. And that's not a bad thing. It means we're human. And I love that we get to feature that. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. And I completely 100% agree. And I think that that is actually a great place to um, wrap it up because I know you're super busy and you've been on a huge book tour. So, but aside from the Lincoln conspiracy, uh, what else have you got going on? Because you're always busy. I'm constantly getting- No, you're, you're, you're like the one who's like, you're now that you just trapped, you, you can't do all the crazy things you do, right? I mean, but you know, why do you do all the different things you do? Because it's the things you love, right? You make time for well, what for you love. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> and to pay for the houses that we stay in and we're stuck in right now. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, is what's coming next. So- um, for those who don't know, I do. Um, so we do the thrillers that are fictional. We do these books that are nonfiction for adults, but we also mm-hmm. do history for kids. And I know you know this, Jessica, but because um, we used to give your son, like, they, that was like the first copies. That was truly when we mm-hmm. started. I mean, yeah. so I, in fact, I have them here because I have them be sitting on my desk. Um, so we just did, we did, I, we started with I Am Amelia Hart. Of course, I Am Abraham Lincoln and I Am Rosa Parks and Albert Einstein. We just did I Am Walt Disney and I Am Leonardo da Vinci because my youngest is creative. He's just a little Lego kid and he's just a yeah. dreamer. He's always ahead in the clouds. Have you been and watching want- that new Lego show, Master Builders? I did watch Master Builders with yeah, him. Yeah, it's Although pretty good. <laughs> I, I, I literally, am, I lose my mind watching these guys, especially the two beard guys because mm-hmm. one, I'm in love with them, but <laughs> because they like met in a Lego like used Lego place and we're like, you have a beard and I have a beard and you love Lego <laughs> and I love Lego. Let's be friends. And I'm like, I want to be friends too. Um, so my, my youngest is a dreamer. And so I'm like, I have to give him proof of what his dreams can do. So we did I Am Walt Disney for him. We did I Am Jim Henson for him. We did I Am Leonardo da Vinci for him. And then the new ones come in October. So this is the newest, but here, I'll show you. Yeah. I Am Benjamin Franklin. Oh, very nice. Um, and then these are the proof copies. And then this one is probably our most important one. I know on a podcast I'm showing people stuff, but Jessica and I are looking at each other on video. But you can see this is probably our most important one. I am in. Oh Frank. yeah. And what you, do you will find appreciate. It, how do you? How do you? For writing for kids, how do you approach some of the more uh, difficult context? You mean writing about the Holocaust for little kids? Right? Yeah. Right to bury the lead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but also like, it, you know it's about like as like you were saying like these people are they're humans and there's good to them and bad to them. So how do you? decipher how you're going to approach that with children? Uh, You know, I do the one thing that I always feel is the best thing you have to do with kids, which is, and again, we're not, you know, we don't lie to them is what I'll say. We we just don't sugar. We don't, you know, we, when we did I Am Abraham Lincoln, the editor was like, you sure you want to do slavery? I'm like, if we don't do slavery, what are we doing? Yeah. We're just adding to the, like the sugar coated nonsense of, you know, Abraham Lincoln is the greatest man who ever lived. Like that's not, my kid doesn't care. But when I tell my son, that when Abraham Lincoln was 10 years old, he used to love animals, came upon a group of boys playing with turtles. And he's like, I love turtles. And he races over to the turtles and he sees they're not playing with the turtles. They're putting hot coals on the backs of the turtles. They're torturing the turtles to make them run faster. And in that moment, Abraham Lincoln, as a 10-year-old boy, doesn't know what to do. And I don't care if you're 10 years old or you're 50 years old, sometimes it's hard to do the right thing, but Mm -hmm. someone has to. And my youngest son still sleeps with an Abraham Lincoln doll that someone gave, he doesn't care about being the 16th president. He has no context for that. But he mm-hmm. sees Chris Eliopoulos' beautiful art and that cartoon version of Abraham Lincoln. And he's like, I get it. So we, we, are, we are honest about it. We obviously, you know, we did slavery for Harriet Tubman. Mm-hmm. They were like, can you show a beating? I'm like, we, we cannot say slavery was fun. Like we got to do it. So what we did, you know, but we keep things that are really gory off panel. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we sometimes do things in silhouette if it's going to be something that's really, you know, going to leave a mark. Doing the Holocaust was like nothing we'd ever tackled. Like, how do you do the Holocaust for little kids? Um, and we were like, you know what? How can we not do that story right now? Right? Anti-Semitic attacks are at an all-time high. They published yesterday on the front page of the paper. Yeah. I was like, we owe and need heroes like this more than ever. So, and we'll say, listen, they're not perfect. Every book says, you know, George Washington lost his elections. Abraham Lincoln lost, I think, eight elections. Um, 
it's just the way they are. That's how that, and that's okay. I, I'm not here to sell perfection. I'd rather sell the reminder that all these people are just like you. And when kids see that, they're like, oh, he and she, they're just like me. And mm-hmm. suddenly they feel empowered because it's, they're not some kind of marble figure, but they're again, a human being. So it, it's tricky, but we work on it. We, and we use a lot of, I will say, I, I left this part out, a lot of um, experts. So we did I Am Billie Jean King. Billie Jean King proofed her book. We did oh, Anne cool. Frank and that we sent to the Holocaust Museum and to experts that they gave us to say, listen, here's, you know, here's someone who knows. The Franklin Institute in Philadelphia helped up with Ben Franklin. So Walter Isaacson weighed in on, on our Leonardo da Vinci book. I was like, we have to get help. So we had even um, when we did I Am uh, Martin Luther King Jr., like how do I possibly do Dr. King? Um, but we had representative John Lewis proof the book for us. So each time we do go out and find that expert who says, you know, listen, this is what you're forgetting, or this is what you need to put in. Very cool. Very, very cool. Is there anybody then particular that's like the one that you want to tackle that you just haven't tackled yet? Or are you, or are you kind of open to all of it? Yeah, I'm open to all. I mean, you know, there's some people who just, you know, there's some people who you're like, I will say no one's perfect, but there are definitely people I'm like, I really don't like that person because mm-hmm. that one thing they did is it's too bad. It's, it's like, it cuts you off. And, and I don't know what that slippery slope is, but I think it's kind of like the Supreme court definition of pornography, which is, you know, it, when you see it, you know, yeah. who a good person <laughs> yeah. is when you see it, you know, it. Um, and, and for I also me, did and, not know that that was the definition for it, but that, that is makes the Supreme complete court. I went to law sense. school for three years <laughs> and that is, you know, what the greatest part is, is pornography is also decided by your community standards. So the community standard of what pornography is in New York is very different than what it is in Nebraska. Needless to say, you can show a lot more in New York on public TV than you can in Nebraska. So welcome to the world of law. Basically, you could tell when I I was paying attention in law school, when they were when like, they we're mentioned talk about pornography, <laughs> yeah, I was like, like, I'm in. I'm dialed in. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm here. Here I am, Teach, Call me. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, that's fantastic. Well, so um, for the socials and stuff, as far as people um, uh, finding out what you're up to next or when the books are going to be published, where can people uh, start following you? Yeah, I am at Brad Melcher everywhere. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even LinkedIn. We, there's not enough people with my name, so we were able to just go at Brad yeah. Melcher anywhere. And um, and if you do have little, little kids, you can see our cartoon show that is now on PBS kids, um, Xavier Riddle in the secret museum where they took our, they took our kids that. books. Yeah. Our kids books are a, a cartoon show now on PBS. And so they, we just started in November. They launched us. You will appreciate it was, um, 50 years and one day after Sesame street launched. So no pressure on us. That's but yeah, but that's so cool. It's cool. I mean, they basically, it, it's Xavier, his sister and their best friend, Brad, the most handsome cartoon character who ever lived. They made me a cartoon <laughs> character. Um, but we go on these adventures where we're having a problem. Like as an example, we're being bullied. So mm-hmm. we go back in time. We meet Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks teaches them how to deal with the bully. They come back in time and deal with the bully. Use that lesson. So every episode is our kids books but brought to cartoon form. So we've been doing, we just launched that too, which is really fun. That's fantastic. Well, I'll definitely check that out and have my child watch it as well. You're, he will really, our theme song will maddenly, maddenly get into your head. Okay. I, I promise you, just, you better have a counter song to get it out. Everyone <sighs> needs a counter song. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I've got, I love, I've got a few. I, I love our theme song. I love yeah. our theme song. But it's an but earworm. Bring a, bring a counter song. Awesome. My counter song for everything is, um, is Schoolhouse Rock, Interplanet Janet. If I sing that, it will take any song out of my head, but huh. you better have one when you, when you listen to Xavier Riddle. Ooh, I don't think I what, do, but I'll- You I'll, don't have a counter song for anything? Like nothing? Not really, not really, no, not really. You gotta have a counter song. This song could, when you have an earworm in your ear, the best way to get it out is to put something else in there that will take I it guess- away and be forgettable. Guns and Roses, Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> Listen, I can, you say that to me and I'm literally already like, I'm, I'm in. Yeah, it's, it's like you're immediately pulled in. You only need to hear the first three stanzas. It. It's like I'm you're in. got it. You know exactly what song that is. Um, but then you sing that for the next 45 minutes. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Anytime you would like to come back, we would love to have you. Always appreciate it. Always love seeing you. And thanks to everyone out there who supports us in the kids' books, the adult books, the fiction, all of it. I really, it means more than you know. Awesome. Thanks. Talk to you soon. 
All right. Well, I actually have some listener stories for us since we haven't done any in a while. Uh, this one is titled The Time I Floated Down the Stairs. Oh, no. Dear Jess, Bowser, Aristotle, and Stovetop, if you're listening, I was a proud bizarro from the spooky shit days, and I'm super excited to be an untoldian. Feel free to use my first name. It is Jason. Ever since I was as young as I can remember, I wanted to fly. I know all kids want to fly, but to me it was an obsession. I remember sitting on the floor of the second story of my parents' old farmhouse when I was very young, maybe around four or five, and dangling my legs through the railing at the top of the stairs so that they would be in midair. I just thought it would be so awesome for my whole body to be in midair like that. Every time my mom went to the store, I would beg her to buy me some wings so I could fly. I would even dig out my old sister's angel wings that she wore in a church play and wear them around the house to pretend like I could fly. This is adorable. Mm-hmm. There was nothing I wanted more than to be suspended in midair. One day when I was probably about four or maybe around five years old, I was standing about halfway up the staircase in my house. And I remember standing there and wishing that I could fly the rest of the way down the stairs. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I lifted gently off the step I was standing on and began floating down the steps. What are you talking I- about? That's what he's saying. I didn't feel anything touching me or holding me up. I was just floating. I was so shocked by what was going on, I didn't even make a sound. I remember thinking, is this really happening? As I floated down, almost like I was on an invisible escalator a foot above the stairs. I eventually landed softly on the floor at the bottom of the steps. I just stood there in a daze trying to comprehend what happened. Even at that young age, I knew better than to tell any adults because I knew that they would never believe me. I knew that my dream to fly had, to a certain extent, come true somehow. It wasn't until I was in graduate school that I put it together that my grandfather, who lived in Europe, passed away when I was around that age. I steadfastly believe that my grandfather granted me my wish to fly after he passed away. That's the only explanation I can think of for what happened. This is a short story, but one that has set me up for a lifetime of being interested in the paranormal and everything bizarre. Jason. Wow. Oh, sorry. He has one more thing. I hope you guys are doing well and that you make it through lockdown without going completely crazy. Ah, we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sending out your awesomeness every Wednesday, Jason. Oh, that's cool. That's a nice story. Wow. That's just a nice, feel-good, weird, but great story. I mean, I remember th- you thinking of those types of things, like the boy who could fly. I remember having a dream that seemed so real that I was convinced I was flying. Really? I was flying down the hallway of my house. And then I would have like, and I, and the thing, the reason why it sticks out to me and I still remember it is that I would have dreams about flying, but I knew that they were dreams. This was yes. one of those like lucid dreams that was like, whoa. Yeah. That seemed very, uh, very significant. All right. Next one up. Third, third man presence. Greetings, Jessica Bowser and Aristotle. Uh, feel free to use my name, Sean, if you need. I have a story I would love your take on. At two different points over time, once after a very bad reaction to medication and the other after a massive heart attack that I later completely recovered from, almost as though it had never happened, I have found myself near death from accidents or injury. At both points, I remember waking up slightly in the ICU, viewed the people in the room and all the equipment there. This was a momentary waking, of course, as soon as the drugs kicked back in. Uh, he would be out. However, both times I could clearly see out of my peripheral vision, someone standing just to my left side and slightly behind me. They were not part of the medical staff and it was clearly not a piece of equipment. It was a large humanoid figure that did not make me feel afraid or unsettled at all, but instead gave me a great amount of ease. I have tried explaining this to a few other people, but had it dismissed out of hand. I know full well that someone was there, but I have no idea who or what it could have been. I have researched a bit into the, quote, third man syndrome, unquote, as discussed by people such as Ernest Shackleton when facing extreme danger. They felt that someone else, shadowy or perhaps invisible to them, was nearby offering assistance or guidance in some way. I have a few other stories as well involving sleep paralysis, phantom shotgun... Uh, phantom gunshots and what i am convinced are visitations by a late heart dog that we lost years ago i want to hold those off though to try and spread things out a bit what do you all think of this issue and have either of you experienced anything similar talk to you later from a loyal untoldian sean (laughs) i've I've never Um, experienced anything similar i've never experienced anything like that i've definitely like when i got hit by a car when i was on my vespa and i thought well that was this is it i just got to take i just got to take this beating and then i'm gonna die um, I definitely, I didn't, nah, it, it fucking sucked. I didn't get, I didn't. Yeah. 
for me, it was instead of feeling as if somebody was there helping me, it was more like my mind slowed everything down and was just like, all right, well, we're going to either get through this or we're not. Yeah. And that it became real, like matter of fact, like this is your option. This is an option. This is definitely going to kill you. Mm -hmm. So choose. And you've got two seconds to choose it. Yeah. Like it was like that. It was just like, chook, 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 where it mm -hmm. kind of like was weird but i've never seen anybody out of the corner of my eye but not right. that i'm not that i would be shocked to hear something like that i think it's mm -hmm. your mind's way of in really crazy situations like that to try and help you make the best decision you can at that moment in order to keep yourself going right yeah i don't know what do you think bowser uh, i agree I mean, I would agree with you. So I don't know if I have anything to add to it. I think that's also, it's almost like a, um, um, like, yeah, some, a tripwire of some kind to help you, mm -hmm. help you out. Yeah. In like, a tough like, time. like, cause you think about it, your body's basically a, a machine. Right. It's a meat machine, but it's a machine. It's yeah. a machine that runs. And, you know, I wonder if when under that kind of extreme stress, the machine part of your brain takes over, yeah. not so much the emotional, the like, like the okay, well, we're here and we're doing this now. Like that part of you pushes itself to the forefront. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because then I always like, I'm like, oh, then I start falling into these matrix, you know, philo mm. philosophical wormholes in yeah. my brain, and then it becomes like a thing. <laughs> Then it becomes a thing. All right. So um, that's it for listener stories. I only picked two since we did have Brad on as a guest. And I, want, and I wanted to make sure um, that everything got its proper amount of time. So with that, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Untold Hour Pod on Instagram, The Untold Hour. You can email us your listener stories if you want us to read them and put them on air at theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. You can also actually email them through Instagram. So um, by all means, feel free to do that. Also, uh, you can follow us at our Facebook group, The Untold Hour, which I still have yet to make public. I got to go oh, back yeah. there and do that. Okay. I, I honestly, I can't remember how I changed it in the settings. So I got to figure out how to un unlock everything because everything on Facebook has changed within like the last week. They like redid all their stuff and I don't know what I'm doing yeah. anymore. Um, but anyway, you can join us on the Facebook group. Uh, we post our podcast uh our podcast notes there as well as just kind of interact with folks on occasion and it's just like a cool place to hang out for all the untoldians um i'm trying to think of anything else if you can i do know that you can find us everywhere fine podcasts can be found which runs the gamut of spotify google play apple pods uh stitcher yada 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 it's a lot of places to ask you to leave comments and uh, give us a gr uh, rating but if you can that would be phenomenal mm -hmm. and i would greatly appreciate it and uh so that's it that's all i got bowser you got anything you want to add no i can just do our npr outro works for me this has been jessica chobot and andrew bowser and you've been listening to the untold hour bye, bye. Star Avenue, a, podca <clears throat> a podcast network